You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. Good morning. Okay, um, we're going to be reading uh, the scripture this morning from Acts 3, verses 11 through 26. Peter speaks to the onlookers. While the man held on to Peter and Paul, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's... I was going to ask Andrew how to pronounce that. It's colonnade, right? Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned him, you disowned the holy and righteous one, and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, making sure I'm not reading too far. I know that you acted in ignorance as your leaders, But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, then turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and the covenant of God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for um, the example that he has set that we can look to him. And I pray that we can uh, give you all the glory when we have trials in our lives that you've overcome, that we could say, uh, Lord, that you did this for us, and we can sing your praises in that. Please give Andrew the words to speak today. Please open up our hearts to that, and bless us this week. Um, Thank you for our congregation. Amen. Thank you, Darcy, tackling a long reading today. Hopefully everybody was able to follow along with all that. Um, So today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, privilege and responsibility. 
I think all of you would agree that there are some people who are just born into a situation where they have a little bit of a leg up in all different kinds of areas. It's actually uh, hot. It can be a hot button kind of thing when you talk about this today. But I'm actually not going into all of those kinds of things. But one, one thing that I was thinking about this last week, um, I was watching something that was, it was talking about the, the children of NBA stars. And the, and the particular advantage that they have, especially as it relates to the game of basketball. Um, and part of it is just kind of like name recognition. So there's, there's people who are watching the children of NBA stars just to see how well they do in basketball. That kind of makes sense. Something like Bryce James, Bronny James, anybody seen them play basketball? So they're, they're playing basketball at a pretty high level. Um, Shaquille O'Neal has, I think he has six children. And four of them, uh, two girls and two boys, are playing basketball at a pretty high level. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why they would have advantage, right? Part of it is kind of obvious. There's probably a genetic advantage, uh, right, to having your, you know, your father's seven foot something. There's probably a genetic advantage. Um, but in addition to that, they have um, better opportunities, right? They, they get into, like, the best camps. The, the best programs, the best high schools, the, um, you know, their dad knows people. Some of these uh, stars have like full court gyms in their house, you know, so it's like, you know, you have all these different advantages uh, and privileges to being a, a child of an NBA star as it relates to uh, playing basketball. But just because you have the privileges, right, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be playing basketball professionally, especially if you say no to the blessing of those privileges, right? Privileges are not enough. And when I was thinking about that in relationship to our passage um, this morning, I, I was reminded that the children of Israel actually have this privileged um, position in the history of redemption and Paul actually brings that up a couple of times in the book of Romans. And I wanted to read a couple of passages uh, from the book of Romans to kind of uh, make this point. In Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this. He says, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. The words of God, the promises of God were given to them first. Right? So that's, that's one way in which they were privileged. Paul will say something similar and, and, and even expand on this in Romans 9.4. There Paul writes, they are Israelites, referring to his own brethren. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And so the Jews have this privileged position in the history of redemption. And what Peter does in our passage is he's, he's going he's gonna to bring that up in, in an effort to kind of say, okay, just because you have these privileges... It doesn't mean anything if you don't open yourself up to receive the blessing of those privileges, right? P privileges are not enough is basically 
uh, uh, Peter, one of the points that Peter's going to be making. So we have been looking at, um, it's supposed to be over the course of three weeks, but it's like over the course of a month now. But we've been, we've been looking at this sermon that Peter delivers. It's the second sermon um, in Solomon's portico. So that's in the temple in Jerusalem, right? And this is just right after there's been this miraculous healing of this lame beggar, right? And, and the crowd follows them into the temple and they congregate around Peter and then Peter takes that opportunity to address them. And, and we have said that his sermon sort of has these, these three movements to it. To begin with, he, he offers this or he charges them with something. There's this indictment. And basically the argument of this first section of the sermon is where Peter argues, look, if you had recognized Jesus for who he was, right, the author of life, the Messiah, then this miracle, this miraculous healing, it, it, it wouldn't be so surprising to you. But because you didn't recognize who he was, and because leaders were jealous of him and other things going on, you actually killed the author of life. Then last week, we kind of went into the second part of his sermon, and that's where he says, look, although you did that, like you killed the author of life, although you did that, that did not thwart the plan of God. It actually advanced the plan of God. Killing the Messiah, who knew? Killing the Messiah advances the kingdom of the Messiah. That's, that's the big plot twist of the Bible, right? That, that God himself would come, right? Have his own creation kill him, and that's how he regains the cultural mandate as the second Adam. He redeems the world in this way. Right? And he demonstrates to all the world what true power looks like. True power looks like laying down your life for others in, in love. Right? And so he says, you did that. You killed the author of life, but that did not stop the plan of God. That actually advanced the plan of God. And in addition to that, I'm not done with you. Right? I, I, I am coming to you now, and I'm calling you to repent to receive the Christ. So that's what we talked about last week. Now we're going into this third section where Peter is going to remind them of their privileged access to the Messiah, but then also their responsibility to respond to all the blessings that the Messiah brings. So we're going to be talking a little bit about their privileges, right? this crowd that he's speaking to, and a little bit about the responsibility to respond to the Messiah and the consequences of not. And, and in all of it, we'll talk about how that relates to us. So let's first talk about the privileges. So remember, Peter is addressing Israelites, right? In the temple, in Jerusalem, right? He begins the whole message by saying the beginning of the address is men of Israel, right? And then he references these privileges that they have. They're sons of the prophets, sons of the covenant, and then they were the first to meet the Messiah. So let's look at the beginning part of verse 25. Peter says, you are the sons of the prophets. That, that phrase is kind of multifaceted in its meaning. Part of it is just like, hey, you know how the Old Testament prophets are Jews, right? You're also Jews, like you come from the same lineage. But, but I think there's a little bit more focus than that. I think the emphasis is that you are heirs of the promises 
that the prophets gave to your fathers, right? Now, Peter has already, by the time you get to 25, verse 25, he's already referenced one promise that came through the prophet Moses. He's going he's to mention a second promise that comes as a consequence of them being sons of the covenant, and we'll get to that. But let, let's first talk about this, this uh, promise that he gives through the prophet Moses. Peter says in verse 22 of our passage, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you, that is for the Jews, like Moses talking to the Jews back in Deuteronomy, a prophet like me from your brothers. So there's a prophet coming from the Jews. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. So Peter is quoting from Deuteronomy 18.15, right? And he's saying that refers to Jesus. Jesus is the prophet like Moses, and he's the one who gives an authoritative voice in the kingdom of God, which is, and, and very interesting, in the context of Deuteronomy 18 and in, in the, in the, what he's quoting right now, right? Basically, what God is doing in this moment is he's giving them what they wanted, but even more than what they wanted way back then. So Deuteronomy 18 is referencing this moment on Mount Ahorib, if you remember, where God is speaking on the mountain through fire. And do, do the people like him speaking to them or not like him speaking to them? No, it's scary. Like, whoa, they're like, Moses, you, you go talk to him and then you, you talk to us because that's too much, right? And so they wanted a mediator of God's voice, Right? And so God gave them a mediator of his voice in Moses. But now, see, okay, what's cool in the Bible is the voice of God in, in, in the Psalms, places in, in Deuteronomy, even if you look at Deuteronomy 4, is great. Uh, my, so I'm, I read through the Old Testament twice, once in two years. Right? I know you're like, well, you should, you should do more than that. Uh, and then uh, I, I read the, the New Testament once every year. So I'm in this reading program. And what came up today was Deuteronomy 4, and it talks about this, right? And so, but there's this, in the Bible, there's the voice, of the, God, the voice of God is equal to God. But it's also kind of separate from God in a way. Like, it, and it's kind of like this, it's its own person, but it is God. It's like these, the seeds of the, of the Trinity are already present, right, in the Old Testament. And what happens here is now Jesus comes, Jesus is the voice of God that spoke at Mount Horeb. But the voice of God took on flesh so he could meet us right where we're at. The word of God became flesh. And so in this way, he's a prophet greater than Moses, but not just in that way. Deuteronomy 18 is quoted again in Acts chapter 7. Right? If you remember, that's when Stephen is addressing this whole crowd, and that doesn't go well from him from a worldly vantage point. That he gets stoned, if you remember. But anyway, so he's, he's, he's addressing this crowd, and he, he kind of goes through the whole history of redemption with this crowd. And he mentions Moses, and he quotes from this passage. But listen to the way that he describes Moses. So this is Stephen, a deacon of the church, very early church. He describes Moses in several ways. He says he's a ruler and deliverer in verse 35 of Acts chapter 7. He says that his ministry, Moses' ministry, was validated by signs and wonders. 
Okay, then he goes on to say that he was at first rejected by his people. Nevertheless, God chose him to be the one to deliver God's people out from their bondage, out from their oppression, right? Are you hearing echoes of Jesus, right? So, so Jesus is a, a prophet like Moses in the sense that he, he fulfills and even exceeds the pattern that Moses set for what a prophet redeemer is, right? Jesus is the mediating voice of God par excellence. He is the word of God, right? And he is the one who redeems, right? And is he ruler and deliverer? Yes, right? He's Lord and Savior. Was his ministry validated by signs and wonders? Well, yes, he came to his own and his own received him not. And yet Jesus comes, the greater Moses, right? To deliver all who will follow him out from the bondage of sin, death, and Satan out of the domain of darkness into his kingdom of light, right? And so what Peter is saying to these Jews is you have this privileged position of being heirs to the promises that were given to you by the prophets who talked about this era, this age of the Messiah that was to come, referred to as these days in verse 24. From From Moses and Samuel on, there's all these promises that we're looking forward to this moment that they are now in that Peter is telling them about, okay? So that's one way in which they're privileged. They're sons of the prophets, but they're also sons of the covenant, So if you keep reading in verse 25, it says, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Okay, so now what Peter does here is he he conflates, he, he brings together three separate Old Testament passages that are worded in a similar way. So Genesis 12.3, Genesis 18.18, Genesis 22.18. And they all have reference to God giving a promise to Abraham, beginning when God called Abraham out of where? Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur of the Chaldeans, which is in Babylon. Who did Abraham's descendants Did did they worship Yahweh? No, they worshiped idols. So think about it. So that's, that's in a way, one of the first exoduses, right? That's the exodus before the new exodus of Moses, I mean, of Jesus and the exodus of Moses. He's calling him, he's taking him out of the oppression of being under idols in Babylon, bringing them into the promised land. And throughout this time, God with Moses, Yahweh with, Moses, uh, with Abraham, sorry, I'm going to confuse those. Abraham, uh, God with Abraham, he's making this promise regarding an offspring that's to come. Now, is Abraham young or old? He's old. Is it expected that he would have a child? Not at all. They're like, not at all. They laugh at that, right? And so, but right at the beginning, he's like, no, you're going to have a child. You're going to have an offspring. And it's going to, he is going to bless all the nations. And he keeps reiterating this promise in a long, long, long time. And he walks with Abraham, Abraham being a friend of God. 
And, and he comes to the point of trusting Yahweh to the point where it, by the time he reiterates the promise in Genesis chapter 22, he says, okay, you finally, you've got the offspring, right? Isaac, sacrifice the offspring. If you remember that, it's the most like terrifying moment like in the Old Testament. It's like he raises it up and then a substitute comes. Right? So there, it's like, okay, so there is an offspring from Abraham who is sacrificed. And there's something with the substitute you see, God's just planting these seeds of the story of the gospel, like along the way. And even that offspring, when you hear that as a, as a, a reader of the Hebrew Bible, you're thinking, oh, Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent, right? So you're, you're following along, and so you're, you're hearing these promises. Now, Paul, he gives us an interpretation of those promises made to Abraham in Galatians. In Galatians 3, verse 16, Paul says this. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, into your offspring, who is Christ. So Paul is saying he identifies the offspring of Abraham's promise with Jesus. And then he does this this. Um, interesting thing where he expands that idea in verse 29. And he says, and if you are Christ's, if you belong to Jesus and his kingdom, then you are Abraham's offspring. Whether Gentile or Jew, if you belong to Jesus, you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Right? Heirs to the promise that comes to the Messiah. So what Paul's getting at is like, so that shows what Paul's saying is, is this promise extends well beyond the borders of Israel, right? And it, and it, came, and it even came from a man who came from Babylon, right? But, but Peter's point in mentioning it here in Acts chapter 3 is listen to the privilege that you guys have. You guys have been guardians of, you've been carriers of this promise of this offspring and that offspring even came from your own race right just as paul said in romans 9 4 and because of these privileges you, you know you're the sons of the prophets sons of the covenant you are the first to meet the messiah <clears throat> in verse 26 peter goes on to say god having raised up his servant right, he's already referenced jesus as a servant in verse 13 Right, this is echoes of Isaiah, the suffering servant would come to them, you know, to them. He says, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first. So the Messiah was sent to them first, and they were the first to receive the proclamation of the Messiah's kingdom. Right? And so and Paul is going to reiterate this point. For example, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek, right? So it, the promise comes to the Jew first. The promise was first made to them and the promise is first proclaimed to them. And, and then you see that kind of play out in the book of Acts, right? Where does the gospel spread from in the book of Acts? 
Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. And even beyond that, when you get to the latter part of the book of Acts, right, where does the Apostle Paul go when he, when he enters into a city for the very first time? Where's the first place that he goes? To the synagogue, right? To proclaim that the Messiah has risen from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of the Father to the Jew first. And you see that dotted all through the latter half of the book of Acts. So, so part of the point that Peter is making to them is, guys, think, think of the privileged position that you're in. Are you really going to throw away, like, all, all these promises that have been made for millennia now, right? To you. God came to you first. Are, are you really going to, I mean, think of how foolish it would be Right, to look at the creator who made a promise to you is now fulfilling that promise to you and say, no thanks, never mind. Right? He's like, man, just don't do that. Like, how could you do something like that? that Peter, basically, he's basically pleading with them. Right? And, and, and now there's not, uh, I mean, some people in my family think I have a little bit of Jewish blood. That may or may not be true. But there's not a lot, there's probably not very many ethnic Jews here, Right? But I would submit to you that, that we are in a privileged position also as it relates to the message of the gospel. Right? We, we live in a place and in a time where the, the proclamation of the gospel is overwhelming if you compare it to other places of the world, if you compare it to other times in history. Right? If you think about all the churches that are proclaiming the gospel to varying degrees of you know, some do it better than others, right? It, the, you think about websites, podcasts, like all these different ways in which the gospel, pro TV programs, radio programs, it's just the gospel is being proclaimed, right? But what, what Peter is saying to his audience, what, I, what I'm saying to you is it doesn't matter if you're privileged Right, hearing over and over the blessings of the gospel of Jesus, if you don't do anything about it, like if you don't receive what the message is talking about, Jesus himself, um, one of the interesting things that I found moving into Turlock, and maybe some of you have lived your, your, own, your whole life, it's maybe lost on you. I came from the Bible Belt, and still, when I came to Turlock, I was like, wow, these people are... Christianized, right? Like, like these, these people, like they've heard the message of the gospel over and over and over. And, you know, their parents was telling, their grandparents, you know. And, and you know, at one time, and, and I know it's not true anymore, it's like more churches per capita than anywhere else in the country, in the country. But that's, it doesn't mean anything, right? If you don't receive the Messiah, and, and for yourself, if you don't submit to his reign. So you, privileges come with responsibility, right? right? And so that's, that's, that goes into our second point. They are responsible to respond to the Messiah. Um, if you look back in, in uh, verse 22, right? Because the difference between responding to the Messiah or not is Peter's going to say, 
is the difference between destruction and blessing. That's, that's serious. Right? It's more serious than your family, more serious than your job, your mortgage, your bills. Like He's saying, what you do with Jesus is the difference between destruction and blessing, is what Peter's saying to this crowd. Right? Peter's gained a lot of confidence being filled with the Holy Spirit when you know he denied Jesus because a little girl asked him a question a little bit earlier. But now he's in this place where he's talking to him pretty seriously about what to do about the Messiah. And he says this in verse 22. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Right, we said Deuteronomy 18, 15, that's about Jesus. But then he goes on to say, verse 23, it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So now here in verse 23, he's, he's going to quote Deuteronomy 18 again, but a little bit later in 18, chapter 19. Now this idea of um, if you don't submit to God's reign, you will, you can, if you're not part of God's reign, you won't be part of God's people, right? That basic statement happens over and over again in the Pentateuch, in, in Leviticus, right? Because there, there's no such thing as being part of God's people and saying no to God's reign. Like, it just, of course not, right? I mean, if, if there was a king, if there was a kingdom, right, and you, and you say, well, I want to live here, but I don't want to live under your reign, it's like nonsense. It's like the only, now God is so kind and gracious and long-suffering is that he will allow it for a season, right? He, he will allow you to benefit from the blessings of being amongst God's people without being part of God's people for a season, right? Hebrews 6 talks about this. But Peter's point to this, to this Jewish group is to say, you, you can't be a part of God's kingdom and reject God's Messiah. Like, even... You might think that you're God's people because you're ethnically related to Abraham. But, but that doesn't matter if you reject God's Messiah. Right? And the same is true for, like, there's nobody, you've probably heard this before, but nobody's grandfathered in. Right? You, each one of us, like, decides for themselves, like, will I submit to King Jesus? If your parents... Submitted to King Jesus, great. Like that, there's great privilege in that, right? It's it's good. That's good. But nevertheless, there's still. What are you going to do about Jesus? And it's the difference between destruction and blessing. He goes on to say in verse 26, God, having raised up His servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So, so one of the blessings of the coming of the Messiah, or one of the reasons, I should say, is to bless, right? But what does it mean to receive a blessing from the Messiah? New house? Better job? Better cars? Maybe a helicopter, maybe a boat? right, uh, no hardships, financial stability. Like, is that what he's talking about? I mean, okay, granted, if, if you're part of Jesus' kingdom, Jesus will come back and he's going to make everything right and there's not going to be any hardships in, when the kingdom comes in its fullness. So that, that's true. 
But that's not what he's talking about. He gives the content of the blessing in the verse. What does he say? To bless you. He came, why? To bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Because sin is its own curse. We, we think of, the, we've got it wrong. Like we think God came up with these arbitrary laws and is just waiting to see if people will follow them. Like that's not how, if you, it just, it's common sense. Just think about it for a second. It, what would you expect if you decide to turn your back from life and light? Would you not expect death and darkness? So if you chase idols, you'll get death and dark because that's all they have to give. It's not like, you know, the idols are deciding what to give you. And they're mean, and so they decide to give you death. No, it's, that's what they have to give. What does God have to give? Life and light. So the blessing is being turned from that back to God. You'll, you'll never understand the message of the gospel until you realize that the blessing is following Jesus. You don't follow Jesus to get a blessing. Jesus is the blessing, right? Because he is life. And he's a, he's a good and loving king, right? And our souls are, they're designed, right? He's the ever-flowing fountain of life. And our souls are designed to drink him in continually. We were never meant to be unplugged from the author of life, right? Our forebears, they chose to unplug that cord, and we've been unplugged ever since, and there's been all kinds of problems. And he's saying, no, plug back into the author of life. Then you'll live, and then you'll shine. Like, you'll know, and it will be a blessing in it of itself. Right? Sin, death, the devil, they're not good masters. They, they, they don't care about you, right? They offer lies, false promises that never, I mean, I believe them half the time. It's like, oh, do this and you'll be better. Yeah, I, I fall for the same things you guys do, right? But it's, it's like, okay, you could drink from this fountain. If Jeremiah says in, I think, 2.13, or you can, bring from, you can drink from this broken cistern that holds no water. And we're like, ah, oh, let me see if there's any water in the broken cistern. <laughs> That's what we do over and over, right? And God's like, oh, please, like, I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you, not just from the, 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 the punishment of sin. In a way, yeah, but it's also kind of like the, just the natural consequence of it. Right? I'm going to save you, right? Because I'm going I'm to bring you where there's water for your thirsty soul. Right? So that, that's part of what he's, he's going to bless us in that way. So Peter's telling this audience, like, look, this is what bless, true blessing, true blessing is found in the Messiah that he gave in Jesus. And it's not just for the Jew, right? It's for the Jew first, but what does first imply? That there are others, that there are others that can be brought into the people of God. Right? And, the, and this is all played out in the book of Acts, right? That it, it's, it's kind of hard. I mean, if you put yourself in their position, all the first Christians, the, the very first ones were Jews, right? 
and, and, they're, and part of the book of Acts is, is the record of, of them coming to terms with wrapping their mind around like, oh, okay, oh, oh yeah, that's right. Like God, I mean, for thousands of years, it's just been them. And if anybody came in, they came in through circumcision and be, basically becoming a Jew, right? And so, and now God is saying like, well, that was to bring about this, the seed, the, uh, the offspring of Abraham to come. Now the, uh, the offspring has come. And now all these other promises that you kind of, kind of, you know, just kind of flew over, right? Regarding the nations, it's been there the whole time, right? And now they look back, hindsight 2020, after the resurrection of the Messiah, is like, oh, right. We, the offspring of Abraham blesses the whole world. And they're coming to anyone who comes to the Jewish Messiah will be blessed by the Jewish Messiah. So they, they're in this privileged position, right? They're the first recipients of these promises made to Abraham, made to Moses, right? But, but Peter is exhorting them. And, and then next time we're together, we're going to, see very two different responses to this, but he's pleading with them saying, you have these privileges. Look at all that God's done. Look at all that God's done. Will you not receive him? 2,000 years ago, there was a lame beggar right, like right at the entrance of the temple of God, which represented the presence of God. Jesus, through his ambassadors, heals the broken person to bring them into the presence of God so they might worship God with God's people. It's like God is proclaiming the gospel in like a million ways, right? And that's the point of the healing. God's not looking around for people who are not broken, fixed up people. He's looking for broken people who say, yeah, like I couldn't, I couldn't walk into the temple if I wanted to. My legs are broken, right? Oh, well, the good news is the Messiah has come to heal you, to bring you into God's presence so that you might worship him with the people of God. Let's pray. Father, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Lord, I pray that you would make us one as you are one. Lord, that you would do a miracle in our midst, that you would heal our brokenness, that you would bring us into your presence so that we might worship you now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.